Welcome to Reawaken Podcast. I'm Alex Smith. And I'm John Brown. On this program, we like to discuss everyday topics to hot-button issues, as well as some fringe ideas, while maintaining a solid scriptural foundation and a sense of humor. And we really hope that you enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, we're very glad to have you this time. This time we're trying something else new. I think we're going to do this every once in a while. It's basically going to be a Bible study, kind of. So just some thoughts on various books of the Bible and whatnot. But this time we'll be opening to Romans because, well, you know, we we did the Messianic episode last time. And so I think it would it'll actually be kind of nice to do... Bible study type of stuff because it'll give practical application of that line of thought through the Bible. So we kind of picked Romans because it's not Galatians, which of course we do have commentary on Galatians. We'll do that sometime, but it's still, it's a very engaging book. Actually, I've always heard said, I think I heard it first from Sprawl, but I'm not hundred percent sure that Ephesians word for word has more, like, we derive more theology from it. But Romans, overall, we derive the most theology from any book. That's not because the stuff in it's not reflected in the rest of the Bible, but rather it links back to more of the Bible than, like, most any other book is what I've heard. So it's, like, looking back to the rest and bringing it together to highlight an idea more specifically. So that's where we kind of developed our doctrine off of it because it was already highlighted more specifically. So it it was already kind of set up to do that because doctrine isn't, even though doctrine feels complicated, the idea of doctrine overall is to kind of simplify what we believe, but the study of theology overall is to look into every facet of everything to bring that doctrine together. Yeah, it's a super uh, theologically dense book, and there's just so many jewels in it. Um, right. So many facets, you might say. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so opening up to Romans and in my nice... Yeah, so at it's funny because... When, which not everybody listening to this, most people won't get this, but uh, recently uh, John and I were listening to someone and they brought us to Song of Solomon's, the first thing they did. So evidently Song of Solomon is like the only book of the Bible that... I accidentally, when I was putting my tabs in, I accidentally tabbed two pages together. Those two pages happened to be the exact place that I needed to go to read along with the speaker. <laughs> of course. So, yeah, I, I like, I can't, I can't read in there, but it, of course, it's like the second chapter that's tabbed together, the entire thing, and the start of chapter three. So, yeah. Uh, thankfully Romans is not like that, but yeah, John, you want to get us, uh, kicked off with reading that? Sure. 
the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Romans. Uh, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom ye all, uh, are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. I wanted to kind of pause here and go back to uh, verse 3 where he says, uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. We just went to uh, a meeting of believers, and this is actually the first time that uh, me and Alex and our families had seen each other since this whole coronavirus lockdown thing, so that was super enjoyable, but there were a lot of different families there, and great teaching, great worship time, and uh, one of the main messages during that time uh, by one of the speakers particularly was that our Messiah is a son of David. And that whole notion that he is the promised one, like go back into the Old Testament and this idea of the son of David and Messiah being of the lineage of David, you know, it's all throughout it. And that's a very important part of the gospel that I think we leave out, especially when we're presenting the gospel to Jewish believers, because Jewish people are still looking for the Messiah. Even though, even though they don't believe in Jesus, um, they still have this understanding that the Messiah is going to come, he's going to um, defeat the nations and bring back the kingdom to the people of Israel. And this whole notion that um, he's of the line of David, he's going to sit on David's throne in the city of Jerusalem and reign physically on earth from that location. You know, it's very key to the gospel. It's it's a real kingdom that's coming over this earth, you know. That's, that's just the physicality of that notion that it's not just some spiritual floating in the clouds thing about uh, we, we die and we we float around in heaven. It's like, we're going to come back and we're going to be here with a real king who's going to reign over the earth and we're going to reign with him, you know, maybe over dif different districts or different areas of the earth or something like that. Who knows? But uh, I just think that's really important thing to draw right. out. Yeah. And kind of going back here, to expound upon what John has already said. So the Jews are looking for a Jewish Messiah, of course, but like going back to Deuteronomy 13, you have, it starts off with, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you should not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. So kind of where part of where the Jews are coming from on this, that's part of it. There's other, I think there's in uh, Deuteronomy 15, even more that they kind of base this off of, but 
like the way they see it, most of the church, they believe in a trinity, but they don't they don't explain it in a way that does it justice. So the way they see it is we serve multiple gods. So mm-hmm. if the church was a bit more knowledgeable about the doctrine of the Trinity, which sometime I'd love to do an episode on that, then we'd be presenting it a bit more. So another thing here to point out, and I think the main point I'm trying to make here is that God is a God of like in Deuteronomy, what, what is God up to that point? God's a creator. God, God is, he gives promises. God is the God of the Torah. He gave the Torah. So the church overall has taught a lawless Yeshua. And so to them, this equals another God. Like, like they, they would, they would postulate that it's we're not even talking about the same God because he's, you know, he doesn't want us doing all that. So, I mean, I don't really know what to tell someone who does not affirm that uh, Yeshua sees value highlights and encourages people to take part in the Torah. I don't really know. I don't have an answer for you for what to do there. But just so you're aware, that's kind of where they're coming from on that. Right. I mean, the only reason that we know that Jesus was the Messiah is because he fulfilled the promises, just as it says in verse two, were promised by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Like, that's what we're looking to, to validate Yeshua as the Messiah. Of course, we have experience, you know, during our salvation and after that confirms too, but, you know, the Bereans, when they searched the scriptures, it was the Old Testament that Paul was preaching out of, and that's what they went to to confirm his words. Right, yeah. But I would like to also mention here, kind of going through some of these verses, it's it's interesting here because, again, Romans is very thick, like we said. It has a lot of meat to it. It's it's a man's book of the Bible, one could say. Uh, I mean, that's not to say the rest isn't, but I mean, it's like if you want the if you want the meat straight up, go for Romans. Uh, other books provide you with a dessert. Romans doesn't quite do that, but it gives you the meat. That's for sure. Yeah. So it's like it it starts off with, like John said, it's like. The culmination of all of the law and prophets. It's like this is it. This is the embodiment on earth of this stuff. This is like what was promised from the garden. From the garden, it's been promised to us. Mm-hmm. But it also it highlights the deity of Christ here. Because in verse four we have was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness by His resurrection from the dead 
Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Like, I don't see how you could read that and not pull that out. It's very strongly implied here. Mm-hmm. It's not, I wouldn't use it as a text. There are people who deny the deity of Christ. I, w- I wouldn't necessarily do that. Um, I would probably use verse two on to that point because it's the embodiment. It's like pointing to that, but it's still, I don't see how you can divorce the doctrine of the deity of Christ from this here without trying way harder than you really should be. But yeah, so the next thing that kind of jumps out to me is it's interesting. We we have two different uses of the word apostle in this passage. So we've got one, the apostle as an apostolic authority, what was set forth by Yeshua for the people of his choosing for that time and for the building of building up of the church, the pillars of the church. Mm-hmm. But we also have called to apostleship, which contextually here, if you're looking, is pointing more toward a the, the more literal use of that word. It's not quite the office of apostle as much as a general apostleship we've all been given. We're, we're ambassadors for Christ to bring the, his word to the nations. So it, it is interesting. You see you see, you see that, and you do see that here. Just yeah. contextually, there is two different contexts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Paul was specifically called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, um, which is, uh, you know, as opposed to Peter, who was primarily an apostle to the Jewish people. Um, but yeah, that is interesting that there is that office, and then there's kind of the more general in verse five, who we have received grace and apostleship for obedience. Yeah. I never noticed that before. Where do you leave off there? I can pick uh, it back I think up. I finished in verse six. So, Okay. So assuming John finished in verse six here, neither of us can remember, but uh, so going from seven to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I think, well, let me make sure I didn't skip it. Yeah, I didn't skip a page. Okay. First, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Sorry, I'm having to like move back and forth to see my Bible past my microphone. So I'm like going, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, <laughs> for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I might, I may now at last succeed. Wow, this microphone, it's obnoxious. Come on, microphone. 
I know. It's just like sitting in the middle of the way. It's not moving back and forth for me. It's it's kind of obnoxious, but um, first world problems. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but so already I I may as well kind of tackle this while I've read over it. He Paul is opening here very this is classic Paul, very classic Paul. Um he opens up with the uh I'm I'm blanking on the term for it, but he opens off with a very kind word to him talking about you know he's what's a good term for it i can't really think of anything but he's like boasting in them they've they've he's very proud of them you can tell for sure and yeah i guess as a historical context for romans this is believed to be towards the end of his third missionary journey you know kind of kind of shortly before he gets imprisoned and taken to rome uh, which is interesting, but um, so he's writing this. He he desires, he earnestly desires to to be with these people in Rome and to edify them in person. But he's writing this letter, and he's just kind of uh, you can you can kind of hear his excitement in there to be addressing them and hoping to come see them at some point. Right, and he mentions here that he's you know always he's always praying for him constantly which makes sense because rome was not the best place to be a christian at this point i don't think it had gone as bad as it ended up getting but it was still pretty bad i i couldn't say for sure without looking at the timeline again but uh yeah needless to say this was early christianity uh, persecution was happening Uh, Making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, but you sure you want to say that second part? Because the first part's so much better. (laughs) right so why the jew first that's a good question it's almost as if they were the chosen people yeah that god has this heart for his people that he called out from among all the nations and you know christ says first in jerusalem then in judea and samaria and then to all the earth like he made it a point you know, make sure my people hear this message and the ones that I'm calling are going to receive it with gladness and be part of this this whole mission, this whole kingdom work. Um, and then you guys can go to the rest of the world. And yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And um, I don't think I let John get through 17 as well, Larry, but it's kind of a complete thought, The taking it from the top. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Mm-hmm. Which is a quote, uh, the just shall live by faith. A lot of people think, you know, this is just a New Testament idea. Well, you know, Old Testament, they were saved by like the works and the sacrifices and all that old stuff. And now we're saved by faith. Well, actually, if you look at your footnote or your center column, let me find that real quick. It's relating to, uh, it's a quote out of Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. I don't know, maybe we can flip there real quick. Yep, I got it right here. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So this idea it had already been around like all of the people like how did david get saved like is he in god's kingdom i think so you know how did um you know jeremiah and isaiah and all these prophets and people of god how did they how are they saved without christ being there well it was faith that god is just to forgive and faith in the messiah that was to come and mm-hmm. And they knew that he was coming um, and to be a redeemer. Right. Yeah, you've probably heard the first part of that passage a lot. For some reason, the for I am not ashamed of the gospel is the part everyone hears. Mm. Some people hear as far as the power uh, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But it seems like somebody is always cutting out some portion of this. And it definitely isn't within context because you really need 16 and 17, both. Right. I mean, ideally, you need the whole chapter, the whole book. In fact, it might be helpful to just go ahead and have the whole Bible. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like especially back here when people were really, the Jews were really well-educated in the word and like when you said something they knew like the context they knew the book that it the person that said it and like everything leading up to that so you could say like one line and they're thinking about all these the context and how it relates to the rest of the bible and all that so when you say something you know nowadays a lot of people just get that sound bite and like that's it Mm -hmm. they don't have because we we're such an illiterate culture biblically speaking that you know you really have to read the whole bible to get a grip on what's going on sometimes yeah get a grip people because <laughs> yeah you can't just pull like one thing out and be like no this is the doctrine it's like well it's got to be confirmed by something else right so, yeah and that's what makes the bible so beautiful mm-hmm. um one time i think I've seen it circulating for quite a while now. I think it's uh who started it? It was um Jordan Peterson, I believe is the first guy I saw who did it, but somebody some 
I don't remember who it was, put together a graphic that showed how the Bible cross-referenced itself. And it's like just filled <laughs> yeah. with references back mm-hmm. and forth. It's just absolutely crazy. No other book is like that. That's like has the history of the Bible. I mean, you have so many authors in here. If if it was a book written by some one dude, it would make sense. But like a lot of these people like referenced ideas, concepts, or the Bible itself just from all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the Bible, that's the whole thing behind solo scripture, uh, scripture alone. It's like the Bible can interpret itself. Because right. it's like this living thing that God, you know, masterfully crafted so that it would do that, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on to one of my favorite passages and what, well, I say favorite, but I only say favorite because this is such a convicting passage. It hits hard. It really does. It if it doesn't shake you to your core, I, you should really reconsider the meaning Scripture has to you. It's, it's powerful. And that's the reason why it's my favorite. It is sobering, though. It's very sobering. But you need this for, and I still want to dig deeper into apologetics for people, but this is kind of, where presuppositional apologetics gets its basis from. And I'll give a brief explanation of that here in a second, uh, maybe a bit more in-depth than I've done in the past. But so verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So, I'll go ahead and stop there. It goes on, though. It Mm -hmm. goes on, and it gets even more convicting. But, so, we have here, at the start, verse 18 who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what truth are they suppressing here? Well, when we read on to the next verse here, we have basically the reality of God, Mm -hmm. the essentialness of God. It's, um, let's see, for what can be known about God is plain to them. It's, It's plain to them. God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So 
It's been shown to them in everything. It's completely clear. You can't look around. You're foolish. That's kind of where where Ray Comfort gets his kind of thing where I don't know if you've ever seen him do this, but he'll like yeah. <laughs> give a book to people and he'll be like, well, if I told you that popped out of nowhere, what would you call me? And they'd be like, I'd call you stupid. And he'd be like, right, I'd be an utter fool. So everything around us popped into existence. <laughs> and that's usually when it dawns on people like, whoa, because it's they, they're suppressing it. They know this and it becomes the clear that it becomes clear to them in that moment. They have all that. And in that moment, that suppression turns off for a second. It's up to them. Am I going to turn this back on or no? Right. So, like, then then it mentions here that, you know, they, they claiming to be wise, they became fools. Kind of sums up that next portion. It's like, so because they suppressed it, they've become fools. And... I will mention like you that's kind of what you see around us this suppression people suppress to varying levels that's why we have some people who are more evil than others but mm-hmm. everyone suppresses it some some claim to be good because they still know in their heart the essentialness of God his in, his attributes his that that core of the law what they know there is good and bad and they know some things intrinsically like murder murder is wrong where are you getting that from right there right here if you've ever wondered where atheists are getting that from it's right here romans 18 through 22 but you have any thoughts on that before i give a brief description of presuppositional apologetics uh, just um yeah the the whole notion you know apologetics people a lot of times we'll say things like, I don't really believe in atheists, you know, and like the thing, it's true. Like there are no atheists because they know deep down that it would make no sense if like, if they really believed in big bang, like they don't because Mm -hmm. it, it just, it's impossible. It makes no sense whatsoever. And so when, when someone comes at you and you're like, I don't believe in God, like, well, you don't have to take that as like, well, I guess they don't believe in God. So now I have to start arguing like all the mm-hmm. science and all that. Like, no, like you keep going at their heart. And yeah, you can address some of their you know, rational quote um, right. concerns too. But don't take that for granted that what they're saying is true because deep down God placed eternity in their hearts and they have the witness of nature. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is... If you've ever wondered why, and I hope this is edifying to hear, if you've ever asked yourself, why is God holding all these people who don't believe in God accountable? It's because of this right here, because they are accountable. They're suppressing it and willingly, they're willingly, and despite of claiming to be wise, they are becoming fools and they're exchanging the glory of the immortal God for all of this evil. So that that is why, because they do believe in God. And mm. in spite of that, they are they are rejoicing in their depravity. But so kind of a crash course and presuppositional apologetics here. I'm not gonna go too deep into it because this is a Romans thing, but I kinda wanna give you I don't think I've given too much details and eventually 
presuppositional apologetics is a bit more than this, and we're, we'll dive more in depth sometime in the episode that is still vague in the future. At some point, it'll be coming of <laughs> classical versus presuppositional. Are they opposed? Do they work together? Stuff like that. Uh, spoiler alert, I believe they work together. You you can't have one without the other. So here, this, this right here is the heart of presuppositional apologetics. So a conversation as far as pre- using, a conversation using presuppositional apologetics might go like this. Like I might ask you like, hey, is it all cool if I steal all your money? You might say no, that sounds wrong. And I might say, but why is that wrong? And they'll probably say, because it's my money. And I'm, I'm, I'd am i be like, well, why is it your money? <laughs> and usually they'll, they'll, they'll kind of be at a loss for a second as they try to figure out like why that matters. Right. But the thing you have to impress on them when doing this is you, when you start off using presuppositional apologetics, you have to drive home the point. I believe you are a logical, rational, beautiful child of God who is capable of being quite brilliant. So I, I believe that you saying me stealing your money is wrong. I, I, I believe you. That's exactly why I expect to see. But why would you expect to see that? And then once once you kind of have that in that position, you have to drive home the point like you, the reason why is because of this right here. He's made his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, clear to all they know it's wrong because they have general revelation. This is referred to as general revelation. This passage is what highlights it for us, even though it's found through the rest of the Bible. But, like, this is a great place to start because it drives home the point, sets it up for once you've got them to admit that they're a logical, rational person who believe in logic and ration, which they shouldn't believe in if their worldview holds true, there's no reason for it to. Once you have driven that home, you have the grounding for once they start asking, okay, so I believe in a God. So which God is it? You've already set it up because You've already shown them they have the Bible programmed into their hearts. And a good way of doing this might be, do you believe that women are equal to men? Usually they'll say yes. You can even go so far as to say, do you believe women should be treated as property? No, of course not. Well, the Quran seems (laughs) to show us something else. But you believe that. That's, believe it or not, what the God of the Bible highlights. So you've already set it up for them to realize very quickly it's this Bible and not the Quran, not the Mahabharata, none of that. It's none of that. It's this book right here that they have programmed into their hearts to an extent. Of course, they don't, they don't have the whole thing. But 
they have they have the core of it they have verse 20 programmed into them so it's it's very helpful for apologetics but sadly presuppositional is taking a very backseat to the evidential route as don't get me wrong i love answers in genesis they really helped me out during a during a tough time don't get me wrong they're awesome but evidentialism has really taken over and even Jason Lysel, which is a big part of Answers in Genesis, realizes this. He wrote an entire book on presuppositional apologetics and why we should be using it. And he's trying to get that crowd to accept it as a hand-in-hand sort of thing. The study of evidentialism is awesome. It can deepen our faith. But it's not really a good ground for building faith because all you've got when you just use evidentialism is a person who believes in God. Right. You have to drive home which God it is and that there's, it's deeper. It's deeper than just evidence. It's deeper than I believe in God because I have to believe in God. It's deeper than even if they look into it further and decide the God of the Bible is God, it's deeper than, well, I believe it's God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because that Bible is scientifically a solid book. Like it, it gets along with itself and Jesus has been historically proven and he fulfills all his prophecy. It's the impossible book. That's still, it's all words. It's all, it's all, theology without any spirit so presuppositional apologetics really helps bring the spirit into that evidentialism amen yeah and like this whole reason that he's going into all this about the wrath of god like it goes back to the statement um in verse 15 as much as in as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Everything after this that we've been saying is for basically this 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 statement, I'm ready to preach the gospel because this, I'm not ashamed, because therein is the righteousness of God revealed, because the wrath of God is revealed. Like this wrath of God is the reason that he's urgent in wanting to preach the gospel. And a lot of times we're like very heavy on like, make it all about the love and all about what the benefits that are offered. And yeah, that's what we should be focusing on. But the urgency behind that is, well, if they don't receive it, the wrath of God is going to fall. And, um, you know, it ties in with presuppositional in that, that conscience that they have is bearing witness to that fact that there is a judge who is going to uh, mete out justice at the end of the age where all of our works, all of our deeds, all of our every word and thought is going to be laid bare before him. And that's a scary thing. And it's supposed to be because the wrath of God, the fear of God is what leads people to wisdom The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Mm -hmm. which is Christ. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts before we wrap the chapter up? Nope. Okay. Do you want to Uh, take it from 24? Although I go ahead and start in 23. Yeah. Um, Just, yeah. Okay. And changing the glory of God 
Okay, so it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed change the glory of God, uh, the glory of the uncorruptible God to an image made like to corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. And such were some of us. Right, right. Yeah. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. This part right here, going off of the general revelation part, that is convicting for sure. And it hits hard, especially right now. By the time this releases, I'm sure it'll still be going on. But all these protests and stuff, which is kind of funny because John and I went to this event and we we're kind of off grid there for a second. And when he co- <laughs> when we come back, it's like, what, Whoa, what just happened? happened? <laughs> yeah, I kind of cheated. I was on my phone a little bit, so but I, I didn't follow uh, it too closely. I knew it was happening, but. Yeah. yeah, I come back. The first thing I see is Donald Trump has been moved to a bunker. I'm like, <laughs> what did I miss? Yeah, but, things are getting crazy. I mean, they shut down like they shut down some of these offices. I work for a hospital and they're like shutting down offices in the city. And we're not even close to where this thing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Overnight, the coronavirus disappeared. Right. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I haven't heard a word about the coronavirus since being back. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, we need this right now because what are we seeing here? We're seeing verse 29 on. That's what's happening right now. It's mm-hmm. this penalty that's happening. God has given them over to their suppression of the truth which has manifested itself in evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like without natural affection. It's like, that's, you know, natural affection? What? But I mean, when you see, for example, you're in this mob, basically, and your desire is to burn a building down. Someone works there. Someone owns that Mm -hmm. building. Someone gave their lives to invest in this thing and it it's 
you know, it's their heart they put into it. And you just for a split moment, you don't care. You're without affection. You're without natural affection. We should love one another. We should, you know, see the work that someone has put into something and value that. And there's just this kind of like just this demonic fervor of like destruction and there's no natural affection just the natural affection like Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like but this entire list you can see it you know backbiters haters you know despiteful Mm -hmm. crab murderers yeah inventors of evil things disobedient yeah and in verse 32 i think this hits the hardest though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Mm-hmm. When I read that, when John was reading it just now, every time I think it does, it does this to me. It's like, I feel like the silence that I'm going to leave in there. I feel like, that moment of silence we took isn't long enough. Mm. I think we need to ponder that for quite a bit. It's like, and I may have said this already on an episode, I don't remember, but one time when I was doing a Bible study with some friends over Zoom, it hit me. I'm like, well, it didn't hit me. It's always hit me, but... I finally figured out how to put it into words. Like, God is merciful. His mercy, in his mercy, he would strike us down. He would just destroy us, not just physically, but spiritually. We should be utterly obliterated. But God is gracious. He sent his son so that we may have the chance for redemption when the best we should hope for is a quick death honestly the best we should hope for is a painful and eternal death some we we really it, we deserve hell of course but even surrendering ourselves to god we still deserve obliteration but in god's graciousness he decided to pull us out of it and make us into something beautiful, which we are completely and utterly undeserving of. Mm, amen. But yeah, I encourage people, meditate on that. Come to terms with our depravity. And that depravity is taken away, but we don't take it away. We are wretched still. But in Christ, his righteousness was given to us in spite of our depravity. So, yeah, it's just, it's absolutely amazing and definitely something that I think should keep us up at night, not only in horror, but in rejoicing. I don't think you can lose I don't think you can lose either part of that, honestly. I think I think it's pretty essential to grapple with both of those because we should be disgusted, but we should also be completely full of joy that in spite of all of that, we are loved. 
Amen. Yeah, like when I said I such were some of us, it's like, you know, this was me, right? Like I grew up Christian, more or less, at least in a Christian home where I knew the Bible and I turned away and I rejected God. And like the further I went into that, the darker it was and like the darker I knew that it was like, I even for all my rejection of God, there was always that nagging question, but what if God is real? And not only what if, but kind of like, I'm, um, he is real, you know? And like, but, but you're just convincing yourself otherwise, you know, you're choosing the, to reject. And so that's what it says. Like they, he gave them, as they rejected him, he gave them over to these vile affections and all these things in life. But that that thread was still in my heart and mind of the knowledge of God. And and it's in those dark moments where like you're laying in your bed and there's no lights on, and it's like just you and your mind and like everything that you've done <laughs> that you have to think about. Like those moments, those atheists out there, those people, your friends and family that you're wishing to be saved, like those people have those moments. And if you can speak into their heart, you know, such that God can bring those things to mind in those private moments of reflection, you know, that's where the heart is impacted. So don't be discouraged, you know, if you're not seeing fruit you know, keep praying and keep preaching the word because it it can take hold and uh, no one is without hope. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully you guys have, a, have had a very edifying, convicting time with us. And if you aren't feeling... If you aren't rejoicing enough in God's graciousness yet, I I refer you uh, to Paul Washer's The Shocking Youth Speech. If you really need to be even more convicted, even more (laughs) convinced of your depravity, and have even more joy over God's absolute mercy and graciousness, yeah, go Mm. definitely go check uh, that one out. He's talking about you. I have no idea why you're clapping. But <laughs> right, I was instrumental. Like when I became a new believer, like it's like whoa, like that transformed my views and everything. Definitely, everyone needs to see that message. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. I, you kind of hear that from just about everyone, but right? <laughs> I actually, I don't know if you saw it or not, but did you see my Paul Washer meme? No, I didn't. Okay, so. It's like, it says, my plans for 2020, and that's like superimposed over clapping hands. And then <laughs> there's a picture of Paul Washer pointing, and it, and it says uh, 2020. And yeah, I, I, <laughs> thought it was, I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah. That that'll be funny once you guys watch it. You'll, you'll think back on that and... That's next level humor right there. You <laughs> You'll have to really... post that in the comments of this. Uh, this That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, I should do that. 
Yep. Okay. Well, yeah, go to the comments, check out the meme. It's awesome. But and if you don't see it there, tag me so that I can actually put it in there. But for those of you who know me anyway, those of you who do not just tag the podcast, I guess, or John, just tag someone, <laughs> even tag some friends if you want to. Go ahead. I I don't care. But yeah. So anyway, yeah. Be sure if you enjoyed this episode, share it. Share it with uh, everyone that you can think of. We appreciate it for sure. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, um, Overcast, although we still don't have that link up on our page, but we need to get it. And uh, <laughs> if my brother-in-law is listening to this, please call me because I keep forgetting to get that link from you. But anyway, yeah. And as a quick note and maybe an impetus for us to actually do it uh, more more frequently and more quickly, uh, we hope to have videos out that are not necessarily the podcast, you know, might just be one or it could be both of us, but uh, some, some other content out there as well. It's kind of like a side quest on Skyrim. That's right. It's like... YouTube side quests. So yeah, go check them out. It, it, it'll be lots of fun, even though it's not the actual storyline. So I never did the storyline in, uh, Elder Scrolls. <laughs> most of my friends, most of my friends never did the actual storyline. So. Like, oh, sweet. A cave. I'm going to explore it. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, another cave. I'm going to explore it. Yeah, that seems yeah. like how it goes. But, Look, a town that I can terrorize the villagers. <laughs> but hopefully we won't be terrorizing too many villagers, only heretics on our YouTube channel. But That's right. Yeah. Maybe some witches. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, be looking for that. It'll be coming here soon, probably. And we definitely look forward to seeing you guys next time. I think we have some guests coming here before too long so i don't think that'll be next week but here soon we'll start having more guests maybe monthly to start or something like that but yeah anyway be sure to tune in again thanks <laughs>